In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our texts for today are, have already been read. You may be seated. The story of Moses and his shining face is a rather peculiar one. The connection that we're intended to make with that portion of the Old Testament is that Moses shared in the glory of God while he spoke with his people. So when Moses would come and speak to the people of Israel, he left his face uncovered so that the Israelites could make the connection when they saw his shining face that Moses was not speaking on his own authority, but God was speaking through him. They were to listen to Moses as if they were listening to God himself. Dear friends in Christ, today we behold not the shining face of Moses, but St. Matthew places before us the shining face of the transfigured Jesus. Here we get a glimpse of the Son of God in his unfiltered glory. And unlike Moses, whose face shone with borrowed light, the face of Jesus shines with his own glory. Here, Jesus pulls back the curtain for Peter, James, John, and for us, giving us a glimpse of what we are to expect when we see our Lord face to face. This is indeed a beautiful vision for us, considering the darkness that presses in around us all the time. This is what we have to look forward to. Mankind has this innate knowledge that the world as it is, is not as good as it ought to be. This is true for all people. It doesn't matter what your political affiliations are or what your religious identity is. So-called progressives, for instance, think that the world needs to improve, and so they design their policies to sort out whatever they think is wrong with society. Right now, it seems like their number one objective is a radical, equal society. Progressives want to completely remove all distinctiveness between people, and so our president has picked a transgendered person, a man who thinks that he is a woman, for a top government position, which goes along with his promise that he made to all of us that he would be the most inclusive president in American history. His vision of a better world does not mean picking the best qualified person for a job, but it means checking off a list of those groups that are most oppressed in order to satisfy his constituency. But I'm not going to beat on that drum all day, because conservatives have their own view of what they think a better world ought to look like. Many tend to look backwards to the past, to some idealized golden age that probably, if we're really honest, never really existed. For some, this is what's behind the classical education movement, scouring the ancient sources of Western society in order to make today a better world. After all, conservative, by definition, means to hold on to some principles from the past that made life good, and we want to conserve that for today. 
They want to conserve this particular way of life. But Christians are called to be clear in our thinking and even clearer in our confession. We confess that this world is fallen. Sure, we ought to work to help make mankind flourish in the world. In fact, it's part of the mandate that God gave to us in Genesis through uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and then later on through Noah to be fruitful, to multiply, and to subdue the earth. That is, to bend it to our will to the maximum of human flourishing. We ought to as much as we possibly can alleviate human suffering when we can do it. God gives us the gift of reason and medicine to help us with these things. We can look at creation and learn from how God has designed it, and we can learn how to stop or even prevent certain illnesses, extend human life, and things like that. We do this out of love for our neighbor, out of response to the love that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. We should not, however, be deluded into thinking that life in this world is on a better and better trajectory than it ever has been. That is a fantasy that the devil has been trying to manufacture since before the fall into sin. He promised life would be better for Adam and Eve if they would just listen to his voice, that they would be able to eat from the tree and they would be like God. And so the creation tells us that, it, or the scriptures tell us that the creation is actually in the throes of death rather than getting better and better all the time. St. Paul describes this for us in Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The corruption of the world is found in the great amount of unbelief and hostility that we witness towards Christ, but it is also found in disease, in famine, and in death. The transfiguration of Jesus, where we see him as he is, shows us that our citizenship is not of this country, but we have a far greater citizenship. St. John writes in his first epistle, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, will has not, not, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We like Moses, have been purified of our sins. We've been purified in the waters of holy baptism. And we, like Moses, will shine with reflected glory, the glory of Jesus. But it's even more than that. Moses' shining face was a temporary deal. Eventually, Moses died at Mount Nebo. 
But we will shine with the glory of Jesus given to us as our own. We shall be like him when we see him as he is. The transfiguration shows us that we are to look forward to not a better world, but a new creation altogether. But that's not all we get from transfiguration. While we certainly need these glimpses of heaven along the way that Jesus gives to us, the voice of the Father also gives us yet another precious treasure. He says from heaven, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. People loved by God, we don't have heaven to look forward to as something off in the distant future. For we have it now in the very voice of Jesus himself. Listen to him, God the Father declares. St. Peter, who was one of the three disciples present at the Transfiguration, was reflecting on this event in our epistle reading for today. He said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. St. Peter was an eyewitness to these events. And yet he says there is something more that we should be looking for than the shining face of Jesus. He says, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So putting what God the Father says with what St. Peter has just said, we see that God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, ought to be what we are listening to. It is the foundation of our certainty as Christians. It tells us what is right from what is wrong. It tells us where Christ is located to give us the forgiveness of sins. It points us to heaven, both the heaven to come and the heaven that Jesus brings down to us in the sacrament of the altar. We are not to listen to any other voices not our Facebook or Twitter feeds, not the talking heads on the television, no cleverly devised myths about Jesus. Many claim that God speaks to them directly. Sometimes even pastors will say things like, God has laid this thing on my heart and I have to share it with you today. We should be really skeptical when we hear people speak this way because this is an error that is condemned by the Apostle Peter in this text. It is condemned in the Nicene Creed, which you just confessed when we say that the Holy Spirit spoke by the prophets. He did not speak in other ways. He spoke through his appointed men, 
prophets and apostles throughout history. The writer of Hebrews also tells us, in many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, past tense, in history. But now, he says, he has spoken to us in his Son. To say that God speaks by other means other than his revealed word is an error that is condemned by church theologians, and we call that error enthusiasm. And when I say that, I don't mean you're really excited about something. Enthusiasm is a teaching that says that God still speaks today in the same way that he spoke through the prophets and the apostles of old, and he speaks through a lot of different things like signs in nature and stuff like that too. This is a teaching condemned by the word of God. And it's condemned because it's dangerous. Many times, new proclamations often contradict God's word and predict, uh, falsely predict events. You've all heard the preachers who say that the end of the world is coming on X and so date in the future. They're always proven wrong. Consider all the so-called pastors and so-called prophets who predicted that President Trump would be inaugurated to a second term on January 20th. When they say things like this and they're proven wrong, it undermines people's confidence in God's word. And then the enemies of the church who are waiting for things to kind of mock us anyway, lump us in with those fools. And then they make fun of us for being associated with them. This teaching that God speaks through anybody and everyone and every event in nature is a lie as old as time itself. And it can be traced directly back to the devil who put the question to Eve, did God really say? Well, we know what God said because it's in his word. And this, dear friends in Christ, is a sure foundation, the word of God. It is a lamp that shines in a dark place because it is the word of the one who is the light of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Dearly beloved, let us listen to him and listen to him alone. He will guide us to this vision of heaven that he has placed before us today. He speaks to us today in his word, and he comes to us in this very place, in his very body and blood in the sacrament, that is transfigured bread and wine, that he might bring us back to the Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.